0: Welcome to the Servant Leadership Online Training Summit, 10 Days to Better Relationships and Results. Brought to you by Ken Blanchard, Barrett Kohler Publishers, and Conscious Marketer. Learn more at servantleadershipsummit.com. Our next presenter, Mark Miller, is a great leader and speaker and one of my favorite co-authors. We've written two books together, The Secret, What Great Leaders Know and Do, and Great Leaders Grow. He has also written many other books about leadership, including The Heart of Leadership, The Secret of Teams, and his newest book, Leaders Made Here. Mark is Vice President of Training and Development for Chick-fil-A, where he started, can you imagine this, as an hourly team member in 1977. Great leaders serve, and Mark Miller is a great servant leader. I know you're gonna love listening to him.
1: Welcome back to the Servant Leadership Online Training Summit. My name is Amanda Poole-Walsh, and I'm the president of Conscious Marketer, and also one of the co-hosts and co-producers of this event. And today, I am so thrilled to be speaking with Mark Miller. Mark, thank you so much for being here with us today. I'm delighted. All right, so Mark, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background?
0: Well, I work for a restaurant company called Chick-fil-A, And I started as an hourly team member about 40 years ago in one of our restaurants. Um, Unfortunately, I was awful in the restaurant, but I survived without being fired and I made my way to the home office. Now that's no indictment on the other men and women who work here, but I could not do what they do in the restaurant. So I ended up as the 16th employee here at our corporate headquarters. Uh, I was working in the mailroom and the warehouse and that was 39 years ago I joined the corporate staff. Uh, Since then, I've had trouble holding down a job. Actually, I've moved all across the business. Some of that in the early years was the fact that we were so small. It was kind of let the kid do it, let the kid do it. And I got to start various functions and departments here and have worked in restaurant operations, uh, training and development, quality and customer satisfaction, on and on and on and on. And for the last 20 years, I've been focused almost exclusively on leadership development.
1: Mm. And so obviously servant leadership is a big part of your um, business over there. So can you tell us why you think servant leadership is so important in our world, especially today?
0: Well, we think it's the highest form of the discipline. And we would argue that servant leadership is the preferred path to sustained results over time. It honors people. It honors the work. It honors the organization. And it produces superior results. So I I have trouble understanding why anyone would consciously choose a lesser form of leadership.
1: (laughs) I have to agree with you, especially after being a part of all these interviews. At the end of it, it's like, gosh, why why wouldn't every organization be doing this? Okay, so tell us about the five strategic ways that great leaders lead.
0: The primary reason, I think people don't know how which leads right into your question. When we decided almost 20 years ago that we needed to accelerate leadership development, one of our very first conclusions is we didn't have a common definition. Ken Blanchard calls it your leadership point of view. And we had a lot of different points of view, which made it virtually impossible to create a leadership culture. So where we began what I call the modern era of leadership development here at The Chicken was 20 years ago when we said we have got to define leadership in our culture, in our context. But we're very pragmatic people. And I think there are a lot of leaders in the world that are very pragmatic. So we didn't want anything that was academic or theoretical or conceptual. What we said is we want to identify those behaviors. Now, today we look back, we call them the fundamentals, What are those fundamental behaviors that great leaders, servant leaders, I might add, have demonstrated throughout history? And we actually believe there are five. And before I share them with you, I'll give you a quick story. The reason Ken and I did the book, The Secret, together is when I shared these five with him, our team had been working for a couple of years reaching the conclusion that I'm going to share with you in the next couple minutes, but I shared it with Ken when it was, it was still in its, in its embryonic form, we were still wrestling with it. And he's the one that said, this has to be a book. And I said, Ken, we don't want to write a book. I, I blew him off. I said, Ken, everything looks like a book to you, which is why he sold 70 million books or whatever the number is. I said, we don't want to write a book. We just want to accelerate leadership development. And we think telling leaders what leaders do is a great place to start the journey. And he said, you don't understand. He said, you are trying to articulate what great leaders do at Chick-fil-A. He said, what you've done is you've articulated what great leaders have done throughout history. And it has to be a book. And so that's what led to that book. And the book called The Secret contains five leadership practices. And I'll go over them really quick. And then if you wanna go deeper on any of these, we certainly can. The first is great leaders see the future. Now, If you read much on leadership, this is clearly about vision. All leadership begins with a preferred picture of the future. You've got to answer questions for people. What are we trying to accomplish? What are we trying to become? What are we trying to achieve and why does it matter? Leadership always begins with a picture of the future. So, great leaders see the future. Second, they engage and develop others. Now, engagement has become a more popular term in business jargon over the last decade, and that's fine and that's dandy, but we were talking about it 20 years ago because we realized that best leaders have the ability to bring out the best in people so that they bring their whole self to work. Ken talks about an enthusiastic beginner. He said, when somebody comes to work on their first day, they're an enthusiastic beginner. The real leadership test is how enthusiastic are they six months and six years and 16 years later. Engagement is a direct reflection of the things that leaders do or fail to do. And so we decided we needed to call that out uh, right in the midst of our definition. When we're trying to tell our leaders, what is it you're supposed to do? Now, one quick sidebar, we think there are two pieces to engagement. The first part is who do you recruit, who do you select, who do you invite to join your team? We think that's challenging, but that's probably the easier part because that's a decision you make once. The second piece of engagement is when you create that environment and that context in which people will invest themselves fully. And those are the things that never end, the the behaviors that we have to exhibit as leaders forever to keep people engaged.
1: And do you have tips for how to keep people engaged over that long term?
0: Well, I've I've got a little exercise I'll share with our audience and I've used this around the world because some people um, think this is a mystery and it's actually difficult to do, but it's not a mystery. So I would ask our viewers to think about a time in their life when they were fully engaged might've been at home, might've been at school, might've been on a team, might've been in the workplace, might've been in an extracurricular activity, but firmly place in your mind a time when you were 100% engaged. And then ask yourself, what were the factors that led to your level of engagement? The answers that people come up with are exactly the same things that keep a person engaged in their day-to-day work. They're part of a bigger picture. They understand the goals and the priorities. They get feedback. They get encouragement. They have the tools and resources they need. They are listened to. They are valued. Their opinion matters. And you go on and on and on. And the things, there's these universal truths that help people stay engaged. Now, the tricky part for leaders, and this is, this is another seminar in and to itself, is then you have to begin to personalize and individualize those things. I'll give you one example. Uh, oftentimes, one of the levers of engagement is recognition, but one size does not fit all. I did an exercise several years ago. I met with about 60 of my staff, one-on-one, and I said, tell me about the best recognition you ever received. It was a fantastic activity. Unfortunately, they gave me 40 different answers. Some wanted a note, some wanted a day off, some wanted a check, some wanted a trophy, some wanted to be recognized in front of their peers, so forth and so on. So it does get harder. I don't wanna make it sound easy as we're just kind of sharing sound bites here, but that's one lever to drive engagement that then the leader has to personalize over time. The third practice of great leaders, that fundamental behavior, Is they reinvent continuously. Leaders reinvent continuously. Now, why do they do that? Well, they understand a fundamental truth that all progress is preceded by change. All progress is preceded by change. Now, the non-leader, they don't get it. They They don't have a clue. I had somebody come in my office one day and say, when are things gonna quit changing? I was the new leader and, of course, from their worldview, lots of things were changing and I said when you're dead are or when you work for a leader that doesn't understand part of their core responsibility is to be sure that we're continuing to make positive change because if you do what you've always done you'll get what you always got or less right because ideas have a shelf life so leaders compelled by that vision that future that preferred future they're always wanting to change things To make progress toward that future. Now, one quick sidebar on this, when we talk to our leaders, because it does sound like a buzzword, and then once you get your head around it, it's really big, like reinvent continuously, like reinvent what? Well, a lot of things. So we say if you'll reinvent yourself, that's a great place to start. How are you learning and growing? If you'll reinvent the systems and work processes, progress is always preceded by change. If you want a different output, what are you willing to change? Hope is not a strategy. Hope is a great thing, but it's not a strategy for improvement. And then third and finally, how do you need to reinvent your structure? We tell our leaders, structure should enable, not inhibit. And I find a lot of leaders that get tripped up by the structure. Now you could argue it may be the most challenging thing to change, but sometimes The structure is actually part of the problem as you try to move towards your future. So, we tell folks when things aren't going well, you should at least evaluate the structure. Maybe you don't change it. And then the caveat is if you're not a leader who can change the structure, you don't get a pass. You may have to go and try and influence a structure change. Mm. As a business grows, as an organization grows, as a nonprofit organization grows, you can be guaranteed the structure that worked a year or two or five or a decade ago is not the structure you need in the future.
1: So how often, for example, does does the structure change at Chick-fil-A? I mean, is it changing continuously? Or well,
0: When you say Chick-fil-A, I think I have to, to draw a, a quick distinction. We have 2,300 restaurants approximately, and they're all independently operating. So each of those restaurants has, has a man or woman that is the leader for that restaurant. And so uh, the rate of change there is totally at their discretion. Hmm. Corporately, that's the other Chick-fil-A, the entity here in Atlanta. We've got a couple thousand folks here at the headquarters. We try to change as needed with an eye towards proactivity. Right? You don't want to wait until it's broken to change. And so we're getting better and better at understanding the role structure plays, and we're, we're actually changing it more now than we did early in my career. Part of that was the growth rate was slower, the scale was, it was smaller. But I think we're understanding more and more the tool that it can be. One last tip, I don't know that this is the gospel, but Peter Drucker said it, so it's gotta be worth something. He said that on average, when an organization grows 30%, you need a fundamentally different structure. So I'm sure that varies from industry to industry, from business to business, but it's kind of a rule of thumb. If your business is twice the size it used to be, if your organization is three times the size it used to be, chances are it's time for a new structure and maybe, maybe it's long overdue. Mm,
1: wow, okay, great. So let's do number four.
0: Number four. These are are the fundamentals of great leaders. They see the future, they engage and develop others, they reinvent continuously, and they value results and relationships. And I'll say, even to the men and women I've never met on the other end of this video, this will probably be the hardest one for them. Now, I know that's kind of a bold statement since I don't know who they are, but having been talking to leaders about this for two decades, literally all over the world, this is the hardest for 95% of the leaders in the world. Now for the other 5%, I don't even like them because this is not hard for them, right? So 5% of your readers or listeners, can, they can just take a break right now. But for 95% of us, this is hard. And the reason it's hard is most leaders have a natural bias. It's just the way we're wired. And we either have a tendency to lean toward results or we have a tendency to lean toward relationships. It's just the way we are. And so that's what makes this challenging. If we're not very careful, if we're not very thoughtful, if we're not disciplined and proactive, we'll default to our bias. And what we believe to be true, and I think is validated over the last several decades since we've been pursuing this, is the best leaders value both. Now, a quick word on how, because that may be the number one question I get from leaders all over the planet when they hear this, they go, yes, but how? Yes, but how? Like, I am who I am. Are you telling me to change? I said, well, I'm not really telling you to change. I'm suggesting a two-step process. And I like a two-step process because that's pretty simple, right? Step one is acknowledge your bias. Stop pretending stop role-playing. If you are more results-oriented, own it. If you're more relationship-oriented, own it. That's step one. That should be real easy. If in the off chance you don't know, ask your spouse, your friend, your significant other, or your dog. I mean, everybody around you knows if you have a bias toward results or relationships, you'll be the last to find out, but but you need to know that. That's step one. Step two is to compensate. People go, what, what in the world does that mean? I said, okay, here's the analogy if you wear glasses as a leader, I don't think that makes you a lesser leader. I think it makes you pretty smart because you acknowledge something you didn't do naturally well and you compensate it. The trick is getting the right prescription. So as you think about results in relationships, I think we have to put people, practices, and mechanisms in our world to help us compensate for our bias. So that the things we don't do naturally well become easier for us. So if you're more relationship-oriented, it might be as simple as putting some results-oriented people on your leadership team with you, like consciously and purposefully, even if this person drives you crazy because all they talk about is results, you may need that voice on your leadership team. Or you may need to set some goals because the relationship-oriented person, that may not be their first thought or their first inclination. You may want to set some goals and share those goals. So that's how you might compensate if you're relationship oriented. If you're results biased, as I am, you may have to flip that. You may want to put some people around you who are more relationally oriented. Or you may have to go to extreme lengths. I share this example um, from my own personal development plan. I've done this several times over the years. I'll set a goal of how many notes of thanks, encouragement, and appreciation I'm going to write and track it. Now, to the relationship-oriented people, they think that's just slimy. They just go, I am the world, you know. I said, no, I'm not trying to be disingenuous. I'm trying to put a mechanism in place because if I can count, weigh, and measure it as a results-oriented person, I'm more likely to do it. Mm-hmm. now i still have to have personal integrity that those notes are written from a from a place of genuine appreciation but having a goal in something i'm tracking is a mechanism that may help me engage in more relationally oriented behaviors
1: right that makes a lot of sense yeah so creating goals around relationship behavior so that you can still be results oriented and be Relationship
0: focused, perfect. Okay, that was challenging, but it's really, really powerful. When a leader does both, there's tension there, and there's power in the tension. When you find a way to release that energy by focusing on results and relationships, you'll actually get better results. If you focus exclusively on results, you will suboptimize results. Hmm. And if you focus exclusively on relationships, you will certainly suboptimize results the the path to superior results is both
1: great all right so number five
0: number five uh, the fifth fundamental great leaders embody the values they embody the values this is about walking the talk people always watch the leader whether we want them to or not and they're looking for a couple things one they're trying to decide what's important and two they're trying to decide if we're trustworthy and one way they de- determine if we're trustworthy is when they discern that we believe something is important or that we at least say something is important, they're looking to see if our actions align with our words. And it's, um, it's so detrimental to a leader to tell someone something's important and then not live as if it is true. Now, some leaders I think are a little skittish at this point, Here, here's my disclaimer. I don't believe that our people are looking for perfection. I think they're looking for good faith effort. So some leaders would say, well, if I tell people what's important and then I fall short, what's that gonna do to my leadership? It's gonna do a lot more to help your leadership than to tell them something's important and then not live like you believe it to be true.
1: Is the embodiment that you're talking about mainly around, uh, mainly around trust or are there other elements of embodiment that you
0: see important? Well, trust is the byproduct. If I if I tell my staff that customers are important and I don't treat customers like they're important. We had a practice years ago where our senior leaders would take customer calls here at the office. We would literally, when people called in from around the restaurant, senior leaders would take those calls. Well, I made a point to be on, be on deck when I was supposed to be because I knew my staff was watching. Like we talk about customers, but is is he available when it's his turn to talk to customers or is he going to be in a meeting or is he going to be out of the office or is he going to ask somebody else to do that for him so the trust i think is a byproduct or the mistrust is a byproduct of us saying one thing and doing another and i'll also say that a lot of leaders i think miss a huge opportunity by not telling people what's important when we talk about values we're talking about the beliefs that drive behavior and people are going to try to figure that out, and they may guess wrong if, if you don't tell them. So I tell leaders the fastest way to shape a culture, and I, I can't think of any other way to do it more quickly than to tell people what's important and to live like you believe it.
1: So can you tell us how, so you, you, you mentioned you have the headquarters and then you have, uh, what would you say, 23... 23- how many twenty three hundred restaurants 2300 restaurants so how do you pass these values along to all of those different restaurants and and support them in implementing them
0: okay well the challenge as you stated begins with 2300 restaurants independently operated we also in those restaurants the operators employ about hundred and forty thousand team members seventy percent of them are teenagers and we have turnover approaching 100% of that teenage workforce. So you kind of put all that in the mix, and uh, it's a fun, fun challenge to uh, serve those operators and their individual restaurants. And we do many, many things. uh, But again, management and leadership practices are at the sole discretion of that independent operator. So what we often do is we'll discover something that we believe to be true, we'll share it with them as a best practice for their consideration. We will highlight other uh, men and women, either within our organization or outside our organization who've experienced success with similar, similar methods and strategies, and they can adopt um, as they see fit the strategies that they feel are most important for their restaurant. But I will say this, the root of it, and one reason that we have enjoyed as much success as we have over the years, the caliber of the operator, the man or woman running that individual restaurant is so critical. Because when we get that right, just about everything else goes well. When we miss that, which we don't very often, but we do from time to time, it creates all kinds of problems. So if you want a well-led organization, particularly a decentralized organization, my counsel is be sure you've got the right point leader. And that handles much of the translation issues when we have a big idea that we share, perhaps at our annual meeting. Hey, have you considered building a leadership team, which was something we worked on several years ago, and many of them have adopted that and have successful leadership teams today. But it's not because we did it, it's because they chose to do it in their own location.
1: So, so Mark, what do you look for in those leaders? If that's so important, the selection of that leader, what are you looking for?
0: At the highest level, we're looking for character, competence, and chemistry, but there is a single question that is actually never asked of the candidate, but it weighs very heavily in the process, and this is a question asked by every person who interacts with and interacts a potential restaurant operator. Would I want my son or daughter to work for this person? Ooh, that's a
1: really good well, one. The
0: answer is no, we don't select them because there are gonna be a lot of people whose sons and daughters work for that leader.
1: So in terms of character, what are you, what are you looking for?
0: Well, character is a little bit of a slippery slope. Uh, our human resources team basically delves into that area and the hiring managers are told to, to think more about competence and chemistry. Uh, We know that there are some very sensitive uh, issues there and we want to be respectful and we want to be above board and we want to do everything within the bounds of the law. And so we just let our human resources team probe issues of character.
1: Okay. All right. So uh, how do you, have you had any breakthroughs with resistant individuals to the servant leadership ideas or, or the five keys that you mentioned before? And how did you work with those people and, um, sort of open up the doorway for them
0: well first of all and i want to speak about corporately not the restaurants Uh, we actually have built training curriculum to help men and women who want to become servant leaders to learn and master these five fundamentals Uh, we recognize and reward men and women with additional leadership opportunities who demonstrate these fundamentals We do an annual leadership talent review where we're trying to assess both current and emerging leaders. Uh, So we've built a whole system, a whole infrastructure that says, this is what we honor, this is what we value, this is what we recognize, this is what we reward, this is what we train. And um, the culture has, has by and large come on board. Folks who are an outlier, Uh, they don't get recognized. They don't get promoted. Uh, they, They don't do well because this is our chosen strategy and approach for leadership.
1: Okay. Are there any resources that you would recommend to the audience for people that are wanting to begin to do more servant leadership in their organizations? Any books, any tools, any strategies, practices that they can implement?
0: Well, I think Barrett Kohler would be disappointed if I didn't mention the series of books that I've been working on in partnership with them over the years. Uh, We actually have an ecosystem. It's built around lead self, lead others, lead teams and lead organizations. And because you ask, we've done four books, The Heart of Leadership, The Secret, The Secret of Teams and Chestnut Checkers, which align with each of those domains. And it's been our attempt to take leaders on a journey Of development and influence.
1: Okay, and tell us about your newest book, The Leaders Made Here, Building a Leadership Culture, the High Performance Series.
0: Well, uh, it's a a book that started 20 years ago and I didn't even know I was writing it then. I referenced the story with Ken about us needing to accelerate leadership development And we felt like the starting point was to create our point of view, our definition of leadership. And we naively thought that we were finished at that point. I mean, honestly, you know, done. Let's all go back and sell some more chicken. And it was not long until people started asking, what's next? What's next? We have a point of view, what do we do with it? And that was people both within Chick-fil-A and people outside of the organization. We were getting phone calls on a regular basis. People wanted me to speak. And they would say they read the book, and I'd say, well, what do you want me to talk about? And they'd say, we want you to talk about what's next. So we started trying to figure out what's next. And our conclusion is that there's something every organization needs more than leadership. It needs a leadership culture. And that is a place where leaders are routinely and systematically developed, and you have a surplus. So that's what we've been working on for 20 years. This book is a reflection of that journey and the five step process that we continue to work on and work through uh, here and now in organizations around the world, thanks to Barrett Kohler and uh, the book Leaders Made Here. So we're excited about that.
1: Okay, great. So Mark, I'd love to ask you to leave us, if you can, with a practice that we can implement today to begin to embody servant leadership more fully. But before I do that, I just wanted to mention that right now, the upgrade package is available for $297. This is going to give you all of the, the videos, the audios, the transcripts, and all the bonus gifts from each of the speakers in one easy place to access. And so that you can download them at your convenience, listen to them on the go, and refer back to these trainings over and over. So that is available now for a $200 discount. And after the event, it's gonna be 497 dollars So now's the time if you're interested in taking advantage of that. So Mark, let's leave the audience with a practice that we can implement immediately to like I said embody servant leadership more fully
0: well I hope this isn't cheating amanda it's actually a decision so let me tell you a story one of my mentors shared this with me decades ago he was a young college student and he at that time and he said he noticed he had an early morning job working in the cafeteria so even though he didn't like it he's up at 5:30 headed to the cafeteria and he would look at the home of one of his professors and he would see the light on it, he would see him seated there, look like he was studying. And as the life of a college student would have it, you know, he had long days, oftentimes it was 10.30, 11, 11.30, midnight, he's coming back the same path and he would notice that light on and that professor sitting at that table looked like he was studying. So one day, in a social setting, he had a chance to talk with the professor and he said, hey, I go by your house early in the morning, and often late at night, and it looks like you're always seated at your desk studying. He said, how long you been doing this? The professor said, well, about 20 years, and my friend and mentor said, haven't you figured it out by now? And the professor said this. He said, I made a decision years ago that I would rather have my students drink from a running stream than a stagnant pool. And my friend made the decision that day that he was gonna be a running stream. So that anyone he ever had a chance to influence would always have fresh water. Mm -hmm. And so my encouragement to leaders is to make a decision today to lifelong learning. The way we say it around here is your capacity to grow determines your capacity to lead. And so I would say, if you make that decision, you'll never have a shortfall of practices that you can put into play.
1: Mark, thank you so much. That is a very powerful and potent story. I think that will stay with many of us for a long time. Uh, So thank you very much for that. And I would love to also thank you for sharing so much with us here today. I know that the audience has received so much from all the wisdom that you've shared with us. So thank you for being here. Well,
0: Thanks for the opportunity.
1: All right, and on behalf of the Servant Leadership Online Training Summit, I'd love to thank all of you for being here with us today and for your interest in lifelong learning. You showing up here is showing that you are interested in that. So thank you very much for that. And thank you for making Servant Leadership a part of your business and a part of your life. We'll see you on the next session.
0: Thank you for attending the Servant Leadership Online Training Summit. To own the Servant Leadership Training Kit, including 40 videos, full transcripts, and over 35 speaker bonuses at a 40% discount, click the upgrade button now. This special offer is limited and available only during the summit, so act now. Thank you.